the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. With the power of Tandem HR, you are in the fast lane on Main Street with Get Down to Business with Shalom Klein, the show for business and jobs. Now, the champion of networking, the advocate of jobs, the guru of business, your host, Shalom Klein. We are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You are on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomklein.com. And while you are there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. It's a live show. You could call us here in the studio at 312-642-5600, 312-642-5600. We are powered by our good friends at TandemHR, your solution center. Check them out online, tandemhr.com, or give them a call, 630-928-0510. And indeed, this week is all about entrepreneurship. A jam-packed lineup of guests, beginning with my good friend, Joseph Prosnitz, who has launched Upride, and uh, Joseph, you have been literally riding the entrepreneurial uh, journey uh, for the past number of years, and I know you've met a number of interesting people and had a number of interesting experiences. Joseph Prosnitz, welcome to Get Down to Business. Thank you so much, Shalom, for having me on your show. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been a really amazing couple of years, and I'm really passionate about what I'm doing. Uh, yeah, that's fantastic. Well, uh, tell us a little bit. I, I, I know entrepreneurship is is a journey in itself, and, and certainly I, I look forward to asking you a few questions about some of the experiences and the people that you've met along the way. But let's talk specifically about what you've been developing, what you've been raising the funds for, and what you're hoping to bring to market. Tell us a little bit about it. Sure. So Upride, which is the project I've been working on, is a bicycle accessory that takes the bicycle you already own and allows you to use it as a low-impact elliptical machine. It takes the uh, rotational pedaling of biking and turns it into the standing elliptical stride of running. It's like a bike trainer uh, that allows you to also run. And uh, I came to this because I have juvenile arthritis and I was really struggling to get the exercise I needed and elliptical is the most popular form of low-impact fitness. And uh, I also do uh, bicycle nonprofit work in Rogers Park. So I knew a lot about bicycles, and I saw a way to accomplish this, and uh, that kind of kicked off my journey, which has been a whirlwind. And so, Upright, obviously, uh, you you have a, a background where you've been uh, where you've been involved beyond your specific product in, in you, you've been involved in welding, you've been involved in a lot of interesting things. Does somebody to use the product uh, Upride, do they have to have that same sort of background as you, that welding background, or can a, uh, can a novice uh, take a peek at it as well? No mechanical knowledge is really required. Uh, all you need is, I mean, the initial setup takes uh, maybe 10 minutes, but, you know, two to five minutes to put it on your bicycle you're not modifying your bicycle in any way. You're just clamping it in place and uh, attaching a motion conversion mechanism to your pedals, which is also just clamping to your pedals. 
So it's not not complicated at all. And you can actually see this whole process uh, at www.up-ride.com. That's up-ride.com. Oh, fantastic. So that sounds like something, even somebody simple like myself, my big accomplishment is changing a toilet uh, seat. It sounds like uh, like this is about as easy as, as that process, which is great. So who is this uh, targeted towards? Obviously, you shared your own experience of why you were using an elliptical at a young age. And it makes sense to have one, you know, to have your bike be able to turn it into an elliptical. The, the idea makes sense, Joseph, but, but who is this targeted towards? Who is your target customer? You know, uh, there are a lot of millions of Americans with physical challenges. There's millions of Americans with injuries. But I would say anyone who wants convenient, low-impact fitness, I think uh, over half of Americans own a bicycle and pretty much everyone wants to be in shape. Uh, I think, uh, especially in extreme climates, whether it's extremely cold or extremely hot, this is a way to get fitness when you want, where you want. You know, between picking up the kids for school or, you know, after a long day of work, instead of collapsing into the couch, maybe watching your favorite show while elliptically uh, starting your way to fitness. <laughs> I love it. We're chatting with Joseph Prosnitz, the founder of Upride, which, of course, as you mentioned, you can find online, updashride.com. And, uh, Joseph, you have been, uh, this has been a life's journey for you where you have been involved in a lot of volunteer activities, a lot of physical, uh, physical, uh, competitions and things like that. So it makes sense. You're, you're combining your love for entrepreneurship, your love for welding and mechanical knowledge. And, and really it, it, it's fun to watch anybody who's friends with Joseph on, on Facebook or, or, or is connected with you on LinkedIn sees all of the different events that you're participating in as you've been spreading the word and raising the funds for this entrepreneurial venture. So I want to talk a little bit, sort of zooming out, talking about entrepreneurship. Joseph, tell us a little bit about the experience. And I know you've been in this for the past few years. You're raising money right now. You're spreading the word. You're trying to develop the strategic partnerships. What advice would you have for somebody that's starting the entrepreneurial adventure on their own in 2017? What's the first step? Where do you go? And what do you have any regrets? Anything that you've done along the way that maybe you could have done a little bit better? Sure. I think that uh, I wouldn't be intimidated, but I also would be pretty humble if I were to start this journey over again. I think the journey starts at Google or the library, where you have to do kind of some background research. Um, and you also have to talk with people. I think looking up, whether it's a new idea or just a service-based business, um, you know, talking with people, looking at whatever industry you're interested in, and doing that background research, um, you know, between, you know, boots on the ground and, and you know, really understanding the pain point for your customer and also really understanding how the industry you want to get into functions. I think one of the more humbling things is it, it, it can be extremely expensive uh, to try to start a business, especially in the physical good space. Uh, and I think you have to kind of be really prepared for a lot of the unknown unknowns where, especially if you're doing anything mechanical, but in, in general, there's just things you just will have no idea that you don't know. Maybe it's uh, insurance coverage that you need or a business license that you don't expect. Uh, you know, there's there's a number of organizations that can also advise you, whether it's the Small Business Administration, uh, which also has an organization called SCORE uh, that will provide uh, retired executives uh, to advise you, or, you know, talking with ICNC or MHUB or all these other wonderful, wonderful resources and organizations that really uh, can allow you to be successful pursuing 
what, what can sometimes seem uh, like an impossible dream. But I know a lot of people that make a successful career out of, uh, you know, having their own small business. My father has a small business. Um, you obviously have a small business as well. And uh, it, it's totally possible. I think it just requires a lot of grit and persistence and uh, just, you know, flexibility and willing to kind of adapt to what you're presenting with. Uh, Jessica, are there any entrepreneurs out there or uh, or people in business, I should say, that you look to as a role model? Is there anybody that you see them on TV or you read their book and you say, I want to be, I, I want to learn from this person and this is the model I want to follow? Uh, well, I modeled my company after uh, the second largest maker of bicycle components here, actually in Chicago. It's one of the 50 largest companies here. It's called SRAM. And while many people will not have necessarily heard of that, uh, their biggest competitor is Shimano. They control like 10% of the global bicycle accessory market, maybe 20 at this point. But uh, it was two brothers from Northwestern uh, that just decided to have that one-click shifter that when mountain bikes were becoming popular. And, uh, you know, you, you start with one idea and, you, you know, you, you run with it. But uh, in general, I would say Elon Musk is pretty inspiring. Uh, I, I don't pretend to be as smart as him, but, uh, you know, really doubling down, uh, on a good idea and really, you know, seeing it through, even though people aren't always, uh, believers, uh, really being able to see the future and making that a reality is something I think that he embodies and is really powerful. That's fascinating and inspiring. Um, and is there one part of the business that you especially love? You mentioned uh, earlier, Joseph, that there's so many different pieces of running a business. You mentioned insurance as an example. Is there one piece of the business that you just, when, you know, hopefully very, very soon, you're, uh, you, you know, the company's off the ground and, and the, you're, you're uh, manufacturing products and you have people working for you, uh, is there one piece that you're going to make sure that you're going to continue to own and be responsible for? Uh, what do you love about being a business owner? I really, really enjoy seeing, you know, uh, you know, that little sketch you drew up on a piece of paper becoming a thing, and, you know, whether, you know, it becomes a big business or I move on to something else. Uh, I think that I, I will want to continue to do interesting new products. And, uh, I just think it's really exciting. Um, sometimes terrifying, but, overall just incredibly satisfying and fulfilling to bring something into reality and then see other people using it and enjoying it or benefiting. That's fantastic. Joseph, we are just about out of time, um, and I appreciate you coming on the show this evening. I know our listeners can find you online at up-work.com. Up, uh, right. Uh, sorry, up-ride.com, uh, up-ride.com. Uh, be sure to check out Joseph's uh, fantastic uh, product uh, where you can learn more and find ways to contact our good friend Joseph Prosnitz. Joseph, thanks for joining us on Get Down to Business. We'll be sure to follow your progress and have you back on real soon. But speaking of entrepreneurship, I've got another entrepreneur joining me here in studio. Jeannie Warsaw is uh, going to talk to us a little bit about Mima. Don't touch that dial, Chicago. We'll be right back. Back on the show, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. You're listening to Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. You can get on my website, shalomklein.com. That's where you can download podcasts 
from every single episode that has aired on this very program for the past three plus years and indeed get a sneak peek of who will be on next week. But um, we are all about entrepreneurship and I'm thrilled to have my next guest here in studio, Gina Warsa, the founder of Mima Music uh, here uh, to talk a little bit about the journey. Jeannie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So you uh, have said in the past, the music represents an inner emotional journey through highs, lows, <laughs> and sometimes goosebumps. I love that quote. Oh, um, tell us your story, because there truly is a story behind every entrepreneur. Yes, definitely. So uh, uh, music was really a passion for me as a young teen, and I went through some periods of a lot of bullying in high school uh, and music just, I, I think, really was a way for me to get over some of that bullying and just escape from everything. And so I ended up working in the music business for about 25 years. And my job was in marketing and promoting and, and radio promotion with uh, artists such as Janet Jackson, uh, the Rolling Stones, Isaac Hayes, Tina Turner, etc. And one of the things uh, that I noticed was when you go to these concerts with these people like Janet Jackson, for instance, uh, everybody's happy and everybody's getting along and, and you see every ethnic group and every every different culture there and it's just this power of music. And so I thought to myself, you know what? This is, I think, a great way to reach teens, but it's, even, it's an even better way to reach teens uh, in school. And decided that I would put a curriculum together where I am using music as a as a tool, actually a learning tool, teaching tool. It's fascinating how music is something that, as you said, uh, you know, lifts the spirits. You're talking about obviously, and we'll we'll get back to it in a moment regarding uh, your work in schools. But it's interesting. I literally just had a conversation on Friday about how music therapy is is impacting seniors uh, as well. So truly ah. fascinating uh, the the impact that it has. So you've uncovered the power of music, yes. and you have decided as a result of what you witnessed in person to dedicate uh, to dedicate your your professional time and likely your personal time and too, my personal time and yes. your personal time too to uh, to creating a music program. So where is this music program? What have you been doing? What is Mima Music? Yes, yeah, okay. So it started out as a pilot program, and we've been at Stone Academy in the eighth grade classes there uh, for, geez, we're going into our seventh year. That's part of Chicago Public Schools. That's part of the Chicago Public Schools. And we were at Langford uh, over in uh, Englewood last year, and we're going to be at Lawndale, uh, geez, in one week. Wow. And what we're doing is I developed a curriculum using music from the 60s and 70s because the lyrics were so powerful. And there was so much uh, sociopolitical content there. And it was a time when young people really came together uh, using music to make changes in life. And it was uh, an inspirational time. And I think it, music during that era really helped with some of the landmark achievements of the civil rights movement. And I, I feel that today, um, maybe unfortunately, we are sort of seeing a rebirth of the civil rights movement with a lot of these protests and marches and things that are going on. Yeah, we are dealing with uh, a, a lot. Uh, you, you know, you look at, you look up right now here in the studio, we're looking at just uh, natural disasters and, yeah. and people's spirits, no doubt uh, down. And, and there's uh, you know, that has catastrophic uh, impacts on people's uh, yes. spirits. And certainly when you talk about these critical years of, 
of child development where where folks are are supposed to be spending their time learning but yet they have so much you're talking about some of these some of these neighborhoods you're talking about Englewood where you're going into in just a week there's it's hard to to open a an edition of the Chicago Tribune without seeing uh Englewood in the news and unfortunately not always in such good ways you're hoping to to change people's lives and actually change families yes. through music Absolutely. And you just stated it beautifully. I mean, when we are running the program in an area like Englewood and, and, and Lawndale coming up, obviously the, the uh, neighborhoods are filled with poverty um, and it's mostly African-American. And I think it's great for these kids to go back and see this music that is really a part of their culture uh, that led the way to, again, the Civil Rights Movement, the, the Civil Rights Act uh, being signed. Um, they get to see that these were heroes, uh, you know, that they can be the same, too. And through this music, it can really lead them, you know, to a better future uh, and um, make them feel better. And I think that knowing that this music occurred during that time um we can share what's going on today with some of the music that they're listening to, even though some of what they hear today is explicit in nature. It still is a message about what's going on. And so we can compare. We're, we're chatting with Jeannie Wars, uh, the founder uh, of Mima Music. And uh, it's a fascinating story. Uh, Jeannie, you are Jewish. And yes. uh, it must be interesting going into uh, Lawndale, as yes. an example. Uh, it's, it's on so many levels returning to roots. It's incredible. And my great great grandfather lived around the area and actually made um, Jewish Bible covers that had gold lettering and they were leather. But yeah, it's uh, when I walked into the building, it was fascinating because there's still Jewish stars up uh, oh, wow. in the corner. Um, but what, what I found so incredible was, you know, when you talk about uh, education, both the Holocaust and the Civil Rights Movement and or African-American um, education, you don't really see much of it being covered, even though by law schools are supposed to cover it in some sense. But I think it's generally taught in a week. And I think it's very important for both cultures to see uh, these, the, both the Holocaust and the Civil Rights Movement because there was really a time when, when Jews and blacks got along very well. Um, and I would love for kids to see that, that that can still happen again because we're we're in a tough world today with with a lot of and what better way than with music you're creating yes. that safe space to talk about so many important things. So Jeannie, it's uh, you've got a remarkable story, a remarkable business um, where you are certainly addressing a very important issue. Yes, tell us. Let's talk a little bit about the business and okay. and let's talk about what's next. You're uh, as mm. you said uh, next week another school. Another it's, school. Uh, yeah, it's it's it, you're busy. You're we're, busy. But we're what's very... your goal? Five years from now, where do you want to see me? Mom music. I want to see me all over the place, not just in CPS schools. I'd like to reach out to the suburban schools. Uh, this is a program for every ethnic group. It does not have to be just one specific category of kids. Do you see Mima taking a, uh, a retail space and maybe uh, having people come in after school? I would love, love to have an after school program with it. Would love it because we bring in all kinds of mentors that are working locally in Chicago so we bring in songwriters, rap artists, we bring in media people, 
And the kids do a culminating project at the very end of the program, which runs eight weeks. And they immerse themselves in research on a social justice issue that they feel resonates with them or, or perhaps an issue that they've experienced. And they can write a song, they can perform it live, they can uh, put together a PSA, and then we showcase all that. Um, and this is for the 8th grade kids. And the 6th and 7th graders also come and see what the 8th graders have done. So then they know next year they're going to have this opportunity and it's, exciting. it's just so cool because I get stopped in the hall by sixth and seventh graders when they see me running the program. And they say, oh, I already know what my project is going to be. Oh, my I, goodness. I can't you're creating wait. excitement. Yeah. So uh, our listeners that are tuning in tonight, uh, learning for the first time about Mima, yes. what can they do? How how can they uh, get involved if they're involved in a school? If they're it, what, what can, what's your call to action? Sure, sure. So uh, if you are interested in, running the, interested in running the program at your school, go to our website, www.mima-music, M-E-M-A-music.com, and there's an area there for you to contact us, and then we'll come out, we'll talk to you about the program. It seamlessly fits during the day, generally in a social studies class or an English language arts class, because we're analyzing lyrics. So there's a lot of different ways you can do that in both classes. And we're talking about the 60s and 70s and uh, the Vietnam War and things that went on and the protests. So it all fits in with, with those areas. That's exciting. Mima-music.org. Uh, and I, our listeners can certainly uh, read more, uh, whether yes. they're involved in a school or not. Uh, hopefully, uh, my hope is, uh, is to see Mima Music expanding uh, again into after-school programs, but also uh, not just kids. I think that you've got a message really for everybody. And as you said, creating that safe space, uh, learning from music history. There's so much to talk about. Jeannie Warsaw, yes. I, I look forward to having you back on the program uh, to continue uh, this discussion discussion because i'm sure we'll be hearing a lot about your successes would love to coming up after the break we're going to continue the discussion about small business we're going to be chatting with jeremy smith my good friend uh who was one of the founders of spot here you don't want to miss it we'll be right back after this quick break Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Get on my website, ShalomKlein.com, where you can download podcasts from Get Down to Business. Also, follow me on Twitter at ShalomKlein. Thrilled to be joined by my good friend, Jeremy Smith. Jeremy is an entrepreneur and uh, was one of the founders of Spot Hero, but he is currently off involved in so many other entrepreneurial ventures. Jeremy, welcome to Get Down to Business. Wow, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. I'm glad we're getting to chat. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I had, uh, had fun visiting with you in New York where you are developing. Who knows what's next? Uh, Jeremy, <laughs> you have been involved in a lot of interesting businesses, perhaps uh, the one that our Chicago listeners over here uh, know best, uh, which is Spot Hero. And, uh, but, Jeremy, you've learned a lot along the way in your uh, in your limited years and uh, on on this earth uh, about business, Jeremy, what do you see in successful business owners, and that uh, that sort of cause them to be successful? I mean, is there is there a personality type that 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 leads to a good entrepreneur? Uh, yeah, well, I think that there's uh, I think there's a few things that kind of shine through, um, more, more so than not. I would say that you, a lot of the successful entrepreneurs that I meet, they usually have a bias toward action. Uh, so they're always trying to 
get something done and just are not the types to just sit around and, and wait for things to happen. So you definitely find these people that, you know, a lot of that society would consider to be ADHD. They always have to have their hands in a bunch of different pots. They always want to be moving forward and making progress. I see a lot of people that are very interested in, in improvement. Uh, I think that they look at themselves and their teams as teams that start at a certain point but then have the ability to grow and learn new skills and get better. And that's really important because you may not be the expert at something just yet, uh, but you'll eventually grow into it. Uh, I think a lot of successful entrepreneurs have a real understanding of what the core problem is. I think it's very rare. Well, I wouldn't say it's very rare, but, you know, if you intimately know a certain segment of the market or you experience a problem yourself, it's very clear to just understand where the inefficiencies lie and usually where solutions are just not meeting, are not up to the standards that they should be. Uh, so I kind of see those three things all together. Um, there's a million other skill sets that really helps me to get to the, to the next level, but those are three that kind of come to mind first. Jeremy, uh, so far on uh, on the show today, oh, we our, our first guest was uh, was a young man who's starting a business, uh, and he is in the phase of raising capital. A fantastic mm-hmm. idea, but uh, again, early in the stages of entrepreneurship. Our uh, our guest that that uh, we just had on the air, uh, she has a contract with Chicago Public Schools, so she had an idea and she's been able to to get the contract, and she's sort of at the next phase where she's uh, in the process of developing additional contacts to what I would call scale. Um, there's a lot of different stages in in running a business. Do you believe that folks that are good at one stage may not be good at the next stage? Yeah, I definitely think that's the case. Um, I definitely experienced a personal situation where I felt I was much better adapted to, to help in the earlier stage where you needed to hustle, get things off the ground, uh, be able to get people excited and sell your product. Uh, I found that the next stage of our business, especially in a model where we use venture capital and we had to grow fast, the next stage of the business is much more suited toward being able to allocate capital correctly, being able to manage people. And if you're, you know, a young first-time manager, you're not a person that that skews toward that way. It's a very tough growing period because there must be skills that you've never had to use before. You know, there might be other people who have you know, develop these skills more intimately. And these are just something that you're now trying to learn when you're also under the pressure of having to perform in a certain time period. So I definitely think that there are skill sets that are better suited at different, uh, at different stages. And that's why it's important that I think it's really important for the entrepreneur to understand that and be able to get those requisite skill sets on the team in some capacity. So if you want to stay there, you know, you need to either be the person who can do that, or you need to be able to figure out how to get those skill sets on your team. Jeremy, uh, are there any uh, folks that you look up to? Who's your role model in business? Uh, I would say that I have a number of different role models. So most of the people were angel investors. Most of the people I look up to closest would be the... Uh, people who are angel investors in my company. Um, a few come to mind. Uh, three, which would be Sam Yegan, Troy Hedekoff, and Larry Kaplan. Um, all those three guys. So Sam uh, is a serial entrepreneur who's built some cool technology companies. He was a board member for our company and definitely, or 
person who teaches you how to be decisive, take action. Uh, Troy is probably one of the best uh, startup mentors in the city of Chicago in technology. Um, definitely is really creative in the early stages about how to get things off of the ground, uh, figure out how to do more with less. And then Larry Kaplan is a very close friend and personal mentor who's really, I think, taught me just a lot of uh, more, a lot of a lot of life skills and has kind of helped me, you know, guide me through the next stages of my life. And, you know, for those people, I think they're people that I aspire to because I have personal relationships with them. I understand. The Jeremy, I'm, I'm going to squeeze in a really quick break right now, uh, but I want to have you back on in just a minute. Uh, first of all, I appreciate you answering. So everybody comes up with usual answers of, of Elon Musk or, or Steve Jobs. You came up practical answer. But Jeremy Smith will be right back with you in just a moment. Been learning a lot from uh, Jeremy Smith. Uh, Jeremy, you've, uh, as I mentioned right before we went to break, you uh, you, list, you named off without hesitation who your role models are in business. One of them, a, uh, a personal mentor and uh, and friend, but uh, but also uh, two other names. Really, really fascinating, and I can't wait to look up. Uh, all three of those individuals, and I'm sure our listeners will be doing the same. But Jeremy, you are—I uh, view you as, as a role model. You you recognize your own limitations in business, and uh, and that's allowed you. That I think has made you a better person. And and I know that there's a lot more in store in terms of entrepreneurship and and uh, commitment to the business community. Jeremy, let's zoom out uh, perhaps just a little bit and, and talk about you. Uh, Pre uh, your last venture, uh, Jeremy, did you ever imagine in a million years uh, growing up as a kid that you'd end up uh, becoming an entrepreneur? Uh, yeah, I actually knew at a young age that I wanted to be a business owner. Um, I don't think I ever equated that to being an entrepreneur in tech, per se, but I always had this inclination that I always thought it would be fun to be you know, the person running an organization and uh, doing business. I always thought money was fun. I thought it was cool to go sell, but I had no idea what entrepreneurship was. Uh, and I've been very fortunate that in later time in my life that I took action on it and made something, made something happen. That's awesome. Uh, and I've been asking this of our other guests on the program as well, but what parts of being in business do you, did you enjoy? And, uh, and what parts, uh, sort of, if you could do it again, you would have handed off a lot sooner? Great question. So the first one... Just to make sure I understand correctly. The first, the first part of the question is what again? Uh, what what part of, of being in business uh, did you did you love that that sort of excited you to jump out of bed every morning and run into the office because you were just excited to uh, to roll up your sleeves and, and and do it? Which which parts of the business? Uh, I just I, well, there were a number of ones. I'd say on the highest level, I just always loved learning new skills, and so the ability to come in and work on a tough challenge every day meant that I was going to face all different types of obstacles. So that was something that, uh, that was something that really got me going. I'd say more specifically, I love the ability to choose the people that were working on our team. So the recruiting functions of the organization, the selling, getting to put your, be the face for the company and be out and about trying to get people excited about what you're doing was great because it was the intersection of sales, people, and kind of, uh, you know, an exciting new business idea. And in terms of the things that I would have handed off, uh, you know, I think I would have recognized, I think if I would have gone back, I would recognize that some of the, uh, some of the more operational and really key vital skills to the organization, things like, uh, administration and, uh, financials, like accounting, I would have found organizations like 
you know, how to find organizations and people that could, that are much more interested in that and much better at that and let them go on through and run with it. Feel like I could have doubled down and used my skills really from sales to be more effective for the business because that's where I wanted to be. That's where I got more excited. And if you're working in an area that you're not that good at and you don't really care that much about, actually doesn't really add that much value to the organization. Everybody talks about uh, making money in business. What about yeah. the philanthropy and the and the ability to give back and use your time? I have you tonight. You're, you're sharing a lot of great advice with soon-to-be entrepreneurs. Uh, how important is that in business? And where have you been involved as a uh, as a volunteer? What organizations are you passionate about? Uh, awesome question. So. Uh, philanthropy and giving back is so crucial as an entrepreneur because everybody that's been a successful entrepreneur understands no, there's no such thing as a self-made person. It does not exist, okay? Entrepreneurs, successful people, they're all created on the backs and shoulders of other unbelievable people. So once you understand that, you have a responsibility now to make sure that you're giving back and helping out in ways because there are other people that help you get there. Um, in terms of the ways that I was giving back, there's I was very heavily um, affiliated in the Chicago uh, tech community, and so I always made it my I, – I, the approach that I kind of took was if I found entrepreneurs that were willing to go the extra, extra distance, to hustle hard, to, you know, be out there, out and about, not the people just saying, I've got an app and idea, and, like, you know, I'm thinking about it. I wanted to talk to the people who were out actually putting their ideas to work, and so I made sure that I put my time in on the side to – coach them to help them to make introductions. I was a little bit more selective, at least later on, about how I allocated those times. Uh, in addition to that, I also made sure that, you know, there's still those other people that I may not be able to give as much time to because time of the day is limited. I always hosted uh, events at our office once a month where people wanted to meet me, could get together. And really what happened is a great way for other people to meet each other and, you know, helping build those conversations, connections, and networks I think it was one of the more important ways that I was able to at least get back. That's awesome. Jeremy Smith, uh, again, one of the founders of, of Spot Hero, uh, interesting Chicago-based company. Uh, but Jeremy, you're now off living in New York City, but you still consider uh, Chicago home? I would say Chicago is always going to be my home. Um, you know, I've got a lot of family and friends there. Uh, it was the city that, you know, really helped make me the person that I am. Um, I think it's also important that at all times in somebody's life that they get different, they get different perspectives and try different things and kind of where I stand at the moment. But, you know, I, I have such a love for Chicago. You know, I've got so many people that I care about. There's so much great talent out there. There's so many hardworking people and it's a very, like, it's a very key part of who I am. That's awesome. Jeremy, we really appreciate joining us uh, here on the program and uh, sharing your expertise with our listeners. I know folks can, uh, can certainly find you on, on LinkedIn. And, uh, and uh, Jeremy, come back and visit us real soon, and we'll be following uh, any business or any nonprofit that you're involved in. Please uh, don't be a stranger to us. Uh, we'd love to stay in touch. Sounds great. We will, too. Absolutely. Thanks for Absolutely. And speaking about advice, I'm going to be chatting about eight best practices for managing uh, your late employees. That's something that every business uh, every business owner, every manager deals with. Uh, tips from our good friends at Tandem HR. You can find them online, tandemhr.com, or give them a call, 630-928-0510. 630-928-0510. And we'll be right back with those tips after this quick break. And now it's time for your business tip of the week, which can be heard 
Daily on the Morning Show at 7.30 a.m. right here on AM560. The answer. So managers everywhere deal with employees that arrive to work late. That happens. Life happens. Unfortunately, a regularly late employee affects company productivity and morale and does not make for a very reliable employee. How can managers successfully rein in the that habit and nip that habit in the bud or deal with a habitually late employee? Obviously, you have to address the issue. You don't want to ignore the offense. Address it immediately. Simply ask the employee why he or she is late. If you're sending the message that tardiness is overlooked or even acceptable, then the employee might uh, might not uh, divulge that reason. You should likely refer them if you have an HR department. You should probably address it that way, but certainly have the discussion. Find out what's going on. Uh, an HR department is usually designed to help employees deal with personal and professional issues in a confidential setting. You want to determine if the tardiness is an uncharacteristic behavior um, and because even the best employees are late sometimes, everyone gets stuck in traffic, misses an alarm, or has a child care issue from time to time. The important thing is that the employee is not habitually tardy and understands that tardiness is unacceptable. And if he or she uh, makes that into a habit, then you both need to work on a solution. You need to be flexible within reason. This is especially important if an employee is otherwise productive, effective, and valued. You do not need to lose a talented employee if there's a simple solution that could make everyone happy. Consider changing that employee's hours to accommodate their schedule. Keep in mind, however, that if you're flexible with an employee, you have to be reasonably flexible with others as well. You want to allow the employee to suggest a solution. If the employee is able to offer a workable and reasonable solution, then they'll most likely be able to stick with that solution. If it works for them, it was their idea. And you want to make sure that your attendance policy is in your employee handbook. You'll have no basis for disciplinary action if the employee did not receive notice of the attendance policy in the first place. It has to be in writing and accessible. Your employee handbook is the perfect location for that policy, and you have to document everything. Document each instance of tardiness and the reason the employee was late. This is especially important when the employee is a low performer and disciplinary action may be necessary. You want to be specific about dates, times, and all conversations you may have had with that employee about tardiness, and you have to enforce the rules consistently. You can ignore a high performer and punish others for the same offense. It will have a negative impact on your team morale. It also puts the company at risk for unfair employment practices, and you have to set a good example with your own punctuality. Punctuality. Uh, Behind uh, the arrival at work, you have to make uh, being punctual a habit. You have to show up to meetings on time and even a few minutes early. This shows employees that you respect and value their time and expect the same courtesy. And if you can benefit from some additional HR support, management coaching, I would encourage you to contact our friends at Tandem HR today. Tandem HR is a Chicago area professional employer organization, a PEO, providing hundreds of businesses with custom, high-touch human resource solutions. They also help clients save time and money while growing their business by taking on the administrative tasks associated with human resources, benefits, payroll, 
tax administration, regulatory compliance, and risk management. That's a mouthful because, indeed, it is a handful to be dealing with all of those issues. You should not be going at it alone. Check out their website, tandemhr.com, or give them a call, 630-928-0510. And speaking of websites, get on my website, shalomkline.com, where you can download uh, the episode from today's show, where you had such fantastic guests like Joseph Prosnitz from Upride, um, Jeannie Warsaw from Mima Music, Jeremy Smith from formerly of Spot Hero, uh, a show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. You will not want to keep this for yourself. Share with your friends, post it on Facebook, uh, and make sure others are finding out about our weekly program, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We air every Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on AM560, The Answer. So check out my website, follow me on Twitter. There's some great events coming up that you don't want to miss. Post all of it on my blog and on my social media. And you can always contact me if you know a small business owner that you think should be profiled on this program. To success, let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on M560, The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.